Welcome to the Grace Story Podcast, where inspiring stories are brought to life. This podcast is made possible by Grace College and Seminary, located on the shores of Winona Lake in the great state of Indiana. I'm your host, Dr. Drew Flam. This is the Grace Story Podcast. This is the Grace Story Podcast. Today we have a very special guest, David Benzel, who is a graduate of Grace Seminary, and he's married to Sharon, who's also a graduate of Grace College. They met here while David was at the seminary and for decades have been serving in Russia and Ukraine, and most recently at Kiev Theological Seminary in Kiev, Ukraine. And so we are so excited and thankful for the time that David has given to us today and to our whole campus over the last few weeks. David, thanks for being here. Glad to be here. We're excited just to um, hear a little bit of your story and then uh, want to hear about um, your perspective on um, Ukraine and even hopefully get to some ways that we can can be of help. But um, first, let's go back in time and tell us a little bit about your time at Grace Theological Seminary. Well, um, it was certainly a, a great time. Um, enjoyed uh studying the Bible under different uh, uh, teachers. Because I had, um, I already had a Bible degree from college, I was able to waive a lot of the, the basic requirements and take extra um, advanced courses. And that was really not only enjoyable, <laughs> but profitable for me later, because uh, I almost got three different majors in yeah. New Testament, Old Testament, and theology. And... Um, then ended up teaching all of that uh, down the road. So Now, uh, I remember there was um, some time in there uh, towards the end of seminary where you you began to think about the potential of going to Eastern Europe. Um, I, tell us a little bit about how that came into picture for you well, and Sharon. Well, just as we were, um, as it was getting closer to graduation, and once I got married, it started going slower, but it did finally come. <laughs> and... Um, it was right when the the Soviet Union started to um, open up uh, Gorbachev and the Glasnost and all that, and um, and so we just started looking into that uh, different contexts that we had um, of information, and um, one man in particular had come over to the Soviet Union. Just the Lord did miraculous things, seating him on the train by a pastor and things like that, and he just opened up lots of contacts, and so uh, hearing his stories, his testimony about all that, um, we just thought maybe the Lord's opening up, you know, maybe that's a way, place that we can serve, and so when we heard about um, a little language program that was being set up, we thought, let's try that and see if there's a, an open door for us, we can uh, work with the church there if they want us to come. <laughs> Wow. Did you first go to Russia then, or where well, was uh, where was We were like, going to the Soviet Union. Okay. We were going to Kiev. Yeah, you were going to Kiev. <laughs> but okay. um, by the time we got there, it was already Ukraine. Oh, wow. It was already separate. And um, so we, we actually arrived there on the first day of their official independence. As a wow, new, new country. Yeah, sovereign country. And um, studied there for a year and thought we were invited back by the church and... Um, so we thought, okay, you know, this is what the Lord would like us to do. And, um, while we were back home uh, raising support to come, then, um, 
a new opportunity opened up in the mission to ask us to consider that, and our church agreed to sending us to it was Far East Russia, uh, the city of Habarovsk, and there was a Bible college that was already open, but it didn't have anyone there to lead it. <laughs> and so four of us went, us and another couple from Grace also. And um, yeah, so we were there for um, uh, 14 years. And then after those 14 years, is that when you moved back to Kiev? Yeah, then the um, uh, some laws changed, and um, we just we weren't allowed to stay there uh, anymore. Um, there were places in Russia that have continued to stay to accept uh, people, uh, grant uh, temporary residency, we call it, they call it. Um, but none of those places had schools, and, and Ukraine has had several, has, has several schools, and so that just seemed like a better option. Uh, but we came to Ukraine not knowing what we were going to do, just feeling like, well, you know, this is where uh, there's a lot more opportunities. Mm. So. so you came to U- Ukraine not knowing what you were going to do. How did you end up at uh, Kiev Theological Seminary? Well, um, our mission, uh, Send International, uh, already had involvement there, but in several schools. Mm. And I just made myself available. We got there. Uh, just because of the timing of all of it, when they passed the new laws and whatnot in Russia, and we had to leave, uh, we ended up there in November. Well, the school year's all set <laughs> in November, so there was nothing open. But in in God's plan, um, the teacher couldn't come. They needed somebody on short notice, and so I filled in. And after that, they they asked me to keep teaching. So, so you uh, tell us a little bit about the seminary pre two thousand twenty two. You know, how, how's the seminary set up? What kind of students do you teach? What, how, how does it how does it look similar or different to what we may? Understand? It's um, it's similar in a lot of ways. Except when we think of seminary, we often think of we we always think of um, postgraduate. Sure. Uh, but for them, seminary is what they call any any Bible school. Um, so. Uh, most of our students have not been to college before, don't have a bachelor's degree, that anything equivalent to that. We do have some. Um, so it's a little bit different. It's a little more introductory, <laughs> you could say. And, and a lot of students, you know, it's the first time they've, they've read or maybe um, in a long time read textbooks and uh, written papers or anything like that. And But they all are... You know, I've, I've heard uh, from friends, colleagues here about teaching at some place, uh, teaching even a Bible class, saying, you know, it's really kind of sad because a lot of my students don't want to be in this class. You know, like, say, an Old Testament survey class, which I love teaching over there, and here I've heard people say hardly anyone wants to be there. They have to because it's a requirement, and, and they ought to love it, but they don't. And it shows <laughs> that's not the case for us. They all want to be there. They're all making a big sacrifice uh, to be there, and they're all involved in ministry. That's just part of um, who's accepted, you know. So they're in, involved in some kind of ministry already. They want to be there. This is they they really value it, and it really shows in class. So it's very fun, exciting to teach them. They're very attentive. Lots of good questions and. And blank slates in a lot of ways, um, just they just don't know their Bible Bibles very well. 
so not typically kind of an 18 to 22 year old or somebody right out of college. This is somebody who's in the ministry and they're, they aren't necessarily living in Kiev. Maybe they are, but they're, they're coming for modular classes. Is that right? Yeah. yeah coming for modular classes. And, um, uh, when you say in the ministry, um, it's better to say in in a ministry. Yeah. You know, it may be Sunday teaching Sunday schools. It may be leading a youth group. It may be doing some kind of evangelism, um, having an evangelism team or something in their church. Um, it may be being a pastor. We got that. We got chaplains also, a chaplains program even. So uh, all kind, any kind of ministry, uh-huh. women's ministry. And you said it's like uh, the, the the classes are. 30-something hours? Um, yeah, the standard week. classes is 36 hours in one Ooh. week. Yeah, uh-huh. so, <laughs> You're not yeah. tired after that week, are you? <laughs> it's a tough week, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and, um, but the, and they, they would take one or two, have one or two week sessions. Okay. So, and, then, and then they'd go back home for like six weeks and then come back again. Gotcha. So, well, that makes sense how your background having, you know, a, a lot of, different avenues old new uh, it's allowed you to be able to to be used in many different ways yeah and you know i'm not teaching at master's level <laughs> also uh, and i i'm just personally thankful that i didn't have to um i i didn't have to specialize so much in when i studied and then as a teacher i didn't have to specialize i didn't just have to stay in old testament or new testament or theology i could stay big picture, and I think that really helped me um, see the gospel better. <laughs> Not just one aspect of it, maybe someone that specializes sees it more deeply, but I've enjoyed seeing it in more of the full spectrum. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about um, you know the church and the gospel and life in Ukraine, because you know, we all read lots of articles and um, and and try to understand a little bit about what's going on, but um, tell us a little bit just the church. How would you express the church in Ukraine as compared to to what we may experience here in the United States? Um, uh, evangelicalism, the evangelical church, is not is not the norm there, uh, as in in many ways it is for many of us here. And, um, you know, it's an orthodox world. Uh, Orthodoxy is the norm. And um, so these people are are a clear minority, although in Ukraine, Ukraine was was always the Bible belt of the Soviet Union, always a lot more believers there than in other places, um, than than anywhere in Russia or in the Central Asian countries. And um, that's where... You know, more of the people were taken and sent to the gulags and whatnot. Um, and uh, it still has, um, it has a thriving, growing evangelical church and um, lots of young people. And they are not, um, at least, you know, I don't see all the churches, all the people in the churches. I see maybe the cream of the crop. <laughs> they kind of, they're the, one, the ones that want to come study. That's who I'm, I interact with. But they're... They are so excited to serve the Lord, and um, it's just uh, in the in the country's full of them. I mean, relative. I I, I don't just teach it. I haven't just taught at Kiev Theological Seminary. I taught it in all the big cities, in all the big seminaries there, and traveled around and teach. Uh, it's one of the nice things. Teaching modular classes allows you to 
that opportunity and all the schools are modular there and um so seeing you know wow our school is full you know we have like 250 300 students um and other schools have um you know 200 400 maybe one school's a little bigger but so several schools full of these young people and the churches are full of full of young people uh, it's very exciting. Maybe roughly 40, one out of 40 or 50 people in Ukraine is a, is an evangelical believer. Yeah, uh-huh. So not near the percentage that you'd see here, but way higher than anywhere else in all of um, what what is called Eurasia, that the part that's between Europe and Asia, which is really a huge, huge area, way bigger than the United States. But um, uh, that's the... They're they're the Bible Belt for that whole area. And the, uh, I, I remember you uh, I read somewhere you saying the church is more like your family, right? Oh yeah, young people especially um, they they'll they'll come to church every day, every evening because they want to be there. They want to be with each other. Um, it's not like well I have to or God's going to be mad at me or or my parents are making me. I want to be, these are my friends, these are my family, these are the people that I'm, I want to spend time with. And so they just, they think up reasons. Okay, let's, let's um, sing songs tonight, let's play games tonight. What, what are we going to do tonight? So they want to be together. Um, you, uh, you told students in chapel a couple weeks ago just some of the lifestyle differences between a, a typical Ukrainian and, and maybe someone in the United States who's, you know, middle class, let's say. Um, what are some of those just daily differences of life in Ukraine? Yeah, uh, Ukraine is is a second world country. It's not third world. Um, it's second world. It's you know it's got high tech um, in lots in lots of areas. I mean we we've been paying our bills for a couple of years now online, and uh, some people just hardly don't even use cash, right. hardly. But then, you know, you may, as soon as you get out of town, you may, you know, homes may have an outdoor toilet or uh, things like that that, you know, suddenly remind you, oh, wait, this is not first world. <laughs> it's, it's different. It's a combination of, of first and third. And um, uh, the standard of living is definitely lower than, than the rest of Europe and, and what we would find here. Um, people may just have a few sets of clothes maybe a really nice set of clothes that they just wear every day outside. Mm. But inside, you know, they're not going to wear their dress clothes at all because, you know, those are for outside. Wow. And um, so just um, a lot, you, um, you go into somebody's house, it's a lot sparser than what you might expect and what you'd see here. And um, people maybe have different priorities on what they want to spend their money on. Mm. And so uh, leading up to um, uh, the war and, and, and Russia's attack, uh, you came home in, uh, to the United States. You came back to the United States in January, I believe, yeah, right? Uh, had, you, had you sort of, you know, seen this coming or, or what, what was your, your life experience yeah. of, of, in, of this conflict coming, coming to yeah, your city? We, we definitely were were aware of it. I'm um, uh, 
on being for for the country of Ukraine for our mission. I was responsible to kind of keep an eye on that, closer tabs on it, so so that other people didn't have to pay um, as much attention and report to uh, security people in our in our mission, uh, so they'd be uh, aware of what's going on. So I I kind of had to pay more closer attention to it, but it was definitely building up and building up when there were threats made and. Um, once embassies started pulling people out and, um, you know, they were, they're starting to talk about canceling flights and stuff, then uh, it started, um, you know, okay, this is getting more and more serious. And, you know, we just happened to have, uh, I finished a class and I had several classes in a row and then now had a long a five-week break. Um, with nothing and just thought, well, maybe it's a good, I mean, we, we were going to do something for a break anyway, go to somewhere in Europe, but COVID is still, uh, was still closing a lot of European countries. So we just thought, well, let's, let's head back to the U.S. for a while. And if, if things do shut down, we'll already be here. <laughs> um, we wouldn't want to be in Europe somewhere and in the, you know, living in somebody's home or something there. So, um, uh, Lord worked it out that we, we just came home and then, by the time it was, we were due to come back, the flights had already been canceled, and then just a few days before we were due to come back, the war started. Wow. Wow. So uh, g- tell us the current state of Kiev Theological Seminary, uh, where you work, and just what does, what, does, what does life look like at the seminary now? Well, of course, everything's been, been uh, put on hold, and um, our students had already been sent home, like maybe two weeks before. I mean, whoever was there, they just didn't have the next session. It should be better to say uh, they didn't bring them bring them in. But um, And we just switched to online classes. But once the war started, then that was, uh, that was the end of classes for, for now. No, people just don't, can't think about that stuff yeah. right now. But um, they're still staying in touch with people, thankfully, uh, COVID. And even before COVID, we were already moving towards what can we do online. And um, Ukrainians are, um, it seems to me, way more into what contacting each other on their phones and um, uh, staying in touch that way. And so our teachers and, and, and the, the administration, especially, and the students have really been in touch a lot, and we've had, you know, Zoom meetings of faculty, and uh, I'm serve on the executive committee that helps the president uh, make decisions and whatnot. And we've had a couple meetings and stuff online, so we're still we're still meeting, but it's kind of like, okay, it's all in limbo because we don't know when we can actually start, and when are students going to be ready to start thinking about having classes again, and when they do. Um, it's kind of hard to imagine that we would just start right again with a full block of, right. of um, class time that, you know, what if we start having maybe just some evening, a few hours, a couple times a week, having, you know, a class kind of spread out like that. Would that be a, a way to kind of get students back into the mode and stuff? And, um, you know, some are busy. They're scattered all over. I, I didn't say, but, um, you know, Kiev was not surrounded, but certainly threatened and by the forces, and now that's been eased off a bit, although um, uh, missiles still hit there, I just as today they did. And, but um, uh, students, faculty, administration, and their families are spread out all over, and some are, some are even out of the country 
the men, of course, couldn't leave, but um, unless they have more than three kids, then they can leave, and some, some it's often the, the Baptist families <laughs> <laughs> that have the bigger, <laughs> the bigger families. Uh, but even those, uh, those men have been using their freedom to cross the line to actually take refugees across, bring supplies back, and yeah. using it actually to serve. So it's been a, it's been a blessing that they had that um, opportunity to go back and forth across the border. Um, but people now, some people now are starting to head back to Kiev, feel it's a little safe, just want to get back home. They're tired, you know, they've been living in a suitcase now for a month and a half, and just want to be home. Yeah. What uh, the gospel um, and just how uh, you mentioned Ukraine kind of being the, the Bible belt. Um, what's your perspective on, and I think you even talked about Ukraine becoming more of a sending nation of missionaries and some of the students you had were going other places. Um, talk about, you know, what you see for, for the church and for the gospel um, through all of this strife and difficulty in war. When we first came to, um, to Kiev, we were just in shock at how many believers there were. Mm -hmm. How many churches? There's more churches in Kiev than there was in all of Far East Russia, <laughs> and um, of course, there's way more. You know, there's there's almost as many people in Kiev, <laughs> not quite, but half as many uh, as in all of Far East Russia. But just way more believers, and and not just way more believers, but but growing believers and and growing churches and and maturity that was not um, near as common in Far East Russia. I mean. When the flames are spread out, you know, they tend to die out, but when they're together, they build up, and that's the way Kiev and in Ukraine was. Of course, there's, there's several places throughout the country that are, that are even um, more, more uh, concentrated, <laughs> uh, lots of good, healthy churches. And um, so we kind of had, in our, in our mission, was kind of, you know, we've been here for 20-some years, People at first came to Ukraine and to the former Soviet Union thinking we got to help them build churches and stuff, but we were always committed to helping the church that already existed. But we kind of starting to feel like, well, you know, wow, they're really going on their own. You know, what what can we contribute and and what are we here for? And we finally realized that well, there's one one area that they they really need help. They want help in, and that's in the whole area of missions. And, um, you know, these, they weren't allowed to even think about that under communism, um, but now all of a sudden it's an opportunity. And, but it took a while for them to kind of realize that, hey, we can do this. I remember the first Ukrainian that returned from a mission trip, uh, not just a trip, but he, he, he and his wife and child had lived there for a couple of years in Papua New Guinea in the jungle. And I don't remember who they were serving with there, but um, bringing back, showing pictures. They, they spoke in our chapel at the seminary, and they also spoke in our church, church we attend. And just the amazement of people. These are, these, these are, Ukrainians are doing this today. And since that time, their Ukrainians have gone to many different places. They're, you know, throughout Asia, Taiwan, China, whatnot. Um, of course, Russia and several different places, um, lots of unreached people groups in Russia, over 100. Um, I'm working with some of those. Um, Europe, it's a little harder to go, but uh, especially Poland. 
um, some of the uh, harder just because it's so expensive <laughs> uh, for them to send uh, missionaries there. But also um, Africa, uh, Uganda. Um, I mean, I just was so surprised all of a sudden hearing um, some graduates coming back and speaking in chapel. Oh, these are pictures from our time in Uganda. Like, what? <laughs> and, you know, doing doing kids' camps, and the kids' camps led to meetings with pastors, and then the pastors are saying, can you, can you do classes for us? And so then faculty start going back, and I don't know how many trips from our circle of acquaintances affiliated with the school have gone to Uganda. Um, uh, we were just starting to do something with, with Armenia also. A uh, graduate had come. Um, and so all over, all over, Ukrainians are going. It's probably, it's at least in the dozens that I know of personally that are missionaries. And, and it's probably in the hundreds already. And one of our, the goals of our mission, Send International, is to help them set up a sending council and, and, and an interdenominational one, one that can serve the little groups, the big groups, anyone to, all of them together and help them uh, send out missionaries. And it's, it's very close to, it's already, it's not functioning independently, but it is already sending people out. And um, there's, there wouldn't be any problem if you were to, show up with a fat wallet full of funds and say, you know, I'd like to send out a hundred people. You'd have, you'd have a couple hundred volunteers. Yeah. Just that quick. It's the, the thing that's holding it back is the, the funding that Ukrainian, and we, we don't want to just, you know, here's the money, <laughs> you know, we'll send the people. We want them to be sending them so that, you know, when the time comes that the funds dry up, they're doing it, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, we help, and we help with capital expenses and getting things started and whatnot. But we want we want it to be them doing the sending and the churches. And now with the with the war, how yeah. how do you see? You know, that's not going to happen in the same way. But how do you see the gospel going forward? Or well, I mean, first of all, I mean, churches have been reaching out very effectively uh, for the last couple decades. But um, what I'm hearing now from pastors that we're helping send funds to and whatnot as they as they interact with refugees and whatnot saying this is like it was in the 90s when there was kind of this you know the walls came down and people could own a bible without being scared and go to church without you know somebody writing down their name and so they're like what is all this you know and that's what they're saying it's like now people are saying you know it's kind of the I don't know the foxhole faith kind of thing where well there's danger, maybe I need to turn to God, and people are open. No, you know, how genuine it all is and whatnot, but people are open. And um, I mean, one, one church I'm thinking of in particular, Poltava, is um, kind of a, the first stopping point when you leave some of the worst places, Arkiv and Sumi. Uh, they stop in Poltava, and then they go further. And this church has, um, they have dozens and dozens of people every day and they do they just do conversational things about you know what 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 um how does god fit into your everyday life that's some of the questions he asks things like that and and people are just sitting there talking about it you know uh, but having escaped from bombs and living in bomb shelters and stuff it they're open so that's 
you know, we just pray that God uses that in the lives of many Ukrainians. Then another way that Ukrainians, I mean, you think all those millions of people that have left, although a lot of them are starting to come back now, but one out of every 40 or 50 of those is, is an evangelical. And it wouldn't surprise me, it, you get a whole bunch of these people coming into an area, there may be more Ukrainian believers in that area than there are of, you know, whatever, the Hung Hungarian or Bulgarian or Serbian, you know, wherever they end up in some of those countries, you check especially, there's just not very many believers there. But now all of a sudden there's a bunch of Ukrainian believers um, that are there, and you, and you pray that they have an impact in, in that country. A lot of those, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of those Ukrainians don't come back. Now, the fact that families are separated for believers, that's, that's hard. Ukrainians in general, I would imagine that a lot of them will just, they'll find a better life because it is nicer there. <laughs> so even even the refugee, you know, experiences they're having, they, they may, because they're going to first world countries. Yeah, yeah. There some of them, definitely some of them, and, and maybe a lot of them are stepping into the nicest places they've ever seen or lived in. So that's going to be hard for them to go back. Um, because of, I, Ukraine knows that, <laughs> and they're talking about, we've got to, when, when you come back, we're going to have a place just as nice for you when you come back. And they're, they're talking that way now. They're saying, we're going we're gonna to be totally European. We're going to be, yeah. we're going to rebuild and be first world um, after this war. So that's a hope that's being presented. Um, and if that were to happen, you expect that there would also be, you know, good jobs, paying jobs, that, that the churches would then be prosperous enough that they can do more to send out people. So, um, you know, Ukraine was never a threatening kind of country. Like, if a missionary from the U.S. shows up, in some places that's like, whoa, you know, who are you, imperialist Western? <laughs> and, and if, you know, uh, some other countries, they're a little bit scary, um, even a Russian missionary, <laughs> you know, and there are some, but that some people would be scared of that. But no one has been scared of, oh, you're Ukrainian, you know, step sure. back. No. And um, now, just the amazing thing about how the whole world now knows Ukraine, right, right. <laughs> uh, pretty much where it is. They know the capitals Kiev, and they know some of the cities and stuff, and they know what they're going through, and they know they're, they're not afraid of them, and instead they respect them. And so hopefully, you know, that is another open door for the gospel as Ukrainian missionaries, Ukrainian believers go to different places, you know, whether it's voluntarily as a missionary or involuntarily as a refugee, that they're going to find a new open door for the gospel. there. It's amazing. And it just, you know, uh, that despite devastation and destruction— um, the Word of God is living and active, and it's changing people's lives. Um, and you continue to be a part of that back here in the States, supporting folks who are, who are there in Ukraine. I mean, what does, what does kind of daily life look like for you now as you are trying to help people and support and communicate? In what ways are you doing that, and, and what does that look like? Yeah, we're still a little bit in limbo, too, because we still sure. wanted to go back and um, hope to go back, uh, although our time there was wrapping up. We're getting close to retiring. They're planning on it this summer. But um, 
right now, um, because I went through the work, and it was definitely work of getting <laughs> um, a bank account set up in such a way that I can receive dollars, convert it to krivnya, uh, Ukrainian currency, and then send those to somebody's card, um, all from my phone. Um, because that was set up and it's, it's still working, thankfully, the mission, our, our mission Send International, people had just been so generous. I, I don't know what the number is at now. A, a month ago, it was, already, it was already half a million dollars had been raised, had been given. And so I, I, I would imagine it's a lot higher now. But um, we've just been asking people, you know, again, staying in touch with Ukrainians, very easy. They, they definitely do that, want to do that. Um, and just, hey, what needs to have you seen there? What, who, who needs help, you know, buying gas so they can evacuate people? Who needs help um, buying humanitarian aid or fixing lunches for people that are spending the night and things like that? And so we're just, um, it's just, it's easy for me to just uh, transfer that funds right to that guy's credit card and bank card, and they just go spend the money right Wow. Now. And so if, if somebody wanted to help support that, Go to send. Yeah, send.org. Yeah, send.org. And there's a big button on the page that says Help Ukraine Fund. And 100% of the funds go right to uh, helping these people. And, and you are getting to be that conduit between uh, generosity and, and then needs um, because you, you know the people. And, and that's amazing. That's a. That's a, probably not a ministry you ever expected to have, uh, but it's a it's a big one nonetheless, and it's a really uh, needed one. Well, it's nice that we have something that we can do from here. And um, another thing that's related is when the pastor then or whoever we've sent funds to, if they if they write back and say this is what's been happening, this is how the Lord used it, uh, here's uh, what we're seeing, then I you know those are of course in in Ukrainian or in Russian, so I translate them for the mission, so they. The mission can see what uh, people, donors, people that have given, can see uh, what's going on there. See, uh, read the thanks. So, as we kind of wrap up, um, you know, we mentioned giving is one way that that people can certainly uh, help, and uh, in praying, right, is is of course. Um, what would you say are specific ways um, that we can pray for Ukraine and the Ukrainian people and the church in Ukraine? Well, um, I would say, I mean, we don't want to see another person die. We don't want to see another person suffer. We don't want to see another bomb fall. Um, those are things that God uses and whatnot, but we can certainly pray that it, it comes to an end, but knowing that he's got, he's got the, um, the perfect number for all of that. But um, I think that um, along with praying for an end, uh, to the hostilities would be just praying for strength for believers um, that are really trying to serve and um, um, safety for them. Some of them are doing risky, risky things, going into um, villages that have been bombed but have not yet been uh, rescued. And, you know, I mean, one pastor talked about, you know, going down from basement to basement checking and you can't just say, is anyone here? Because they don't know who you are, and they're not going to answer. you got to go down and show yourself and see if there's somebody there and say, look, I'm, I'm here to help you. I'm, I'm friendly. I'm not, I'm not here to, to hurt you. 
and, you know, rescuing them, getting them out and getting shot out and stuff. So pray for those kind of people putting their life on the line, but also just the people that are dealing with the whole, this whole stream of refugees that are trying to minister, helping physically, but also trying to help um, introduce them to God and help uh, heal their souls, their spirits as they uh, deal with all this stuff that's been going on now for months. Um, pray for the the future. Once this is over, um, you know, things are really starting to build up. Uh, we had our biggest year, our biggest new group of new students, uh, 72 uh, new students uh, in, in August, in August, September. Uh, what's going to happen, you know, are any of those going to return or not? Um, and so that's, that's several different schools are in that same kind of situation. And not just schools, but, you know, publishing houses and other kinds of ministries and, and churches, the same thing. You know, our, our whole church left Kiev. Uh, just a few people stayed there. And, um, you know, usually they had some reason, like an old person, an older family member that, that couldn't leave or didn't want to leave and things like that. So are they all going to come back again? What's church going to be like? There's a whole lot of pastors that are worried. <laughs> what's, what is my life, my ministry going to look like when this finishes? You know, and so there's the, there's the now. God, give them grace now. Give them mercy now. Give them strength now. But also, what's going to happen afterwards? And... Um, there's going to just be all kinds of new temptations and you know and believers that have left uh, especially mothers and children they're going to get settled in there are they going to come back do, do they need to come i mean does god want them to come back or not you know those are hard questions hard questions to answer I'll pray for um yeah pray for safety pray for the gospel to go forward and then pray for wisdom for whatever is next for well, thank you for sharing, and um, and thank you for just being available to us as a campus. It's meant a lot uh, to our students, to us as faculty and staff, to have someone uh, who is one of us um, as a Grace um, Seminary graduate here to to share a firsthand of experience of of how God is using uh, these difficult times and how we can be involved. And so I just want to say thank you for, um, the ways that you've invested back in this community during, um, during a time that's difficult for you, uh, as well. So I appreciate that. And thanks to all of you for listening today to the Grace Story podcast. Music was written and produced by Dr. Wally Brath, assistant professor of worship arts at Grace College. And thanks to our co-producers, Ryan and Rick. And if you could do us a huge favor and rate or comment on the podcast, share it with others so that they can hear David's story, that would be great. Until next time, live your best grace story today.